Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. I could have started three or four different ways, but I'm going to go with the L.A. Lakers. A couple of Lakers stories, actually, today. I want to start with the positive one and not the horrible one. Ever since the L.A. Lakers won that NBA championship, they have fallen on hard times. I mean, it's almost impossible for me to fathom the fact that they won an NBA championship less than 24 months ago, and yet they've fallen into complete and utter disrepair since then. I've been saying for a while now, their only relevant is a sideshow, a freak show, and they've got no chance to compete for anything that matters anytime soon. That's been my take. I've stood by that take. However, that was then, and this is now, because I'm here to tell you the Lakers are back, baby. The Lakers are back. Get out your car flags. Plan that parade. The Lakers are back, baby. They just pulled off the biggest move of the entire NBA offseason. And the franchises. In fact, the franchise's biggest move since they loaded up the trucks in Minneapolis decades ago. Because according to various reports, the L.A. Lakers are sending Talon Horton Tucker and Stanley Johnson to the Utah Jazz for, wait for this, you go ahead and you wait a little longer, Patrick Beverly. Pat Bev, y'all. I f-ing told y'all. Pat Bev, y'all. Welcome back, P. And while Woj and others had that report last night, even more importantly, Mr. 94 Feet himself made it official with the following tweet this morning. Quote, woke up a Laker, it's on. End of tweet. Hell yes it is. You know it's on. And the Lakers are back. Yeah, I said it, and I bleeping mean it. That is one hell of a move from Rob Lowe Palenka. This is what the great ones do. When one move is off the table, they pivot to something else, something better. And when Kyrie Irving was officially out, Rob Lowe Palenka dug deep and pulled a masterpiece right out his ass. And yes, Beverly is better for the Lakers than the part-timer Kyrie Irving. And yeah, I said that too. And I mean that too. Better for the Lakers than that part-timer Kyrie Irving. Because the only thing better than reuniting LeBron and Kyrie is putting Pat Bev and Russell Westbrook on the same team. One of the best feuds in all of basketball. No, check that. One of the best feuds in all of sports is Pat Bev v. Russ. And now you're going to put those two dudes on the same team, in the same locker room. It is absolutely awesome. I love this as much as these two cats hate each other's guts. And I'm not sure anybody hates anything as much as Pat hates Russ and Russ hates Pat, which is why I love these two dudes running together, practicing together, flying together, and losing together. Man, I don't give a damn what it means to the Lakers as a team. I stopped caring about them as a team a long time ago. What I do care about is what it means to the other team. Team content. As far as team content goes, you can go ahead and give them the bleeping Larry O right bleeping now. Seriously, I didn't think that Low Palenka had this in him, but this dude shocked me. Much respect, dude. Much respect. You just crushed it. Now, I know people have been killing you, Low Palenka. For his roster moves ever since Anthony Davis arrived. And you know what? Rightfully so. But anybody and everybody who has carved this cat has to admit, Low Palenka got this one right. Hell, it might even be time to admit that this guy might even know what the hell he's doing. Because putting Russ and Pat on the same team is like the greatest move ever. That trade is even bigger than the Pau Gasol trade. Because, again, Russ and Pat hate each other. They have hated each other for years. They're not oil and water. 
They're a flamethrower and a gasoline-soaked rag. They hate it. They hate it. They hate each other, and it goes back a long way. It goes back almost a decade to when Russ and Pat collided during the playoffs, and Russ suffered a season-ending knee injury. Remember, ever since then, they have hated each other's guts. You know, like that time Pat Bev fouled out, and Russ waved him off the floor with a series of expletives and got teed up. Awesome. Or how about this? iconic soundbite from Russ on Pat back in 2019. Quote, Pat Bev, trick y'all, man. When he played defense, he don't guard nobody. He just run around doing nothing. Pat Bev, trick y'all, man. Like he played defense. He don't guard nobody. He just around doing nothing. Dude, you just tricked grammar. Either way, that's an amazing line. Pat Bev, trick y'all, man. When he played defense, he don't guard nobody. He just run around doing nothing. And then this year, in February, when Russ was going full West Brick, who should pop up on Twitter but Patrick Beverly with this incredible tweet? Quote, I remember when somebody said, all I do is run around and I trick you all. Well, my boy is the real magician this year. End of tweet. I don't even know where to begin with how much I love that. I I mean, he had that locked and loaded. Pat was sitting on that tweet for two and a half years and then just dropped it. Just a few months ago, Pat Bev was calling Russ the real magician for his crappy shooting, and they've pretty much wanted to kill each other for years. And that is an incredible tweet. An incredible tweet. They hate each other's guts. And now these two dudes are going to share the same locker room. Beautiful, man. Again, I stopped caring about the Lakers months ago, practically since they won that ring. But miraculously, they've got my attention again. Miraculously, they matter again. And it's all because of this beef. Now, the one thing I don't have time for is manufactured beef. Contrived beef. Fake beef. To get people to look or click. That's not this. This ain't no tainted beef. This is real. And the best part about it is it's longevity. You know how it is. Think about it. Think about somebody, if you're built that way and you don't like somebody or maybe you've got hate or malice in your heart, you know, it is pretty hard to hate on somebody for a long time, right? It's hard to carry around that kind of heaviness, that kind of darkness, that kind of hate. You know how hard it is to hate a guy for a decade? I mean, to carry that much hate for that number of years. Generally, time heals even the biggest beef, but not with these two. I respect it. I love it. They have not forgotten anything. They have been going at each other for nearly 10 years, and putting them in the same space right now is the funniest thing ever. I mean, don't get it twisted. From a pure basketball standpoint, if you want my thoughts on that, I don't love it at all. I mean, I love it from the standpoint that if you want to bring in a vet who's going to spark that team and get up in people's grills, then that list starts and ends with Pat Bev. I've always loved that intensity, and you know he's going to get in dudes' faces, especially Russ. But from a roster management standpoint, it's a terrible look for Low Palenka. Brutal, right? Because Talon Horton Tucker was supposed to be one of the next big things. That's why they didn't give up on him in that potential trade for Kyle Lowry. Remember when Lowry could have put them over the top? They said, oh, no, oh, no, we're not giving this guy up. He's our next big thing. Young talent. Remember, they chose this same guy over Alex Caruso. They gave this same guy a nice, fat contract. He was the one until he wasn't. He was the one until they moved him for a 34-year-old guard. So, from a basketball standpoint, from a roster management standpoint, man, that's terrible. Backing the wrong horse time and time again. Buying low. Having a chance to sell high time and time again. And only selling when the value has completely crashed. But then again, 
you know, it's my job to give you my take on the basketball side. I just don't give a damn about the basketball side of things from the Lakers. I stopped caring about the Lakers from a basketball standpoint a long time ago. However, if it does give us Patrick Beverly and Russell Westbrook sharing the same locker room, the same practice facility, the same bus to the game, man, bring it on. I'm all here, or I'm here for it. The only thing better than Pat Bev backing up Russ would be Pat Bev beating out Russ for the starting spot. Now, how awesome would that? How awesome would that be? Be legendary. Let me tell you something. You do that, that happens, and we hang another banner or five in the rafters. That happens, you give Pat Bev a statue out front. In fact, give Russ a statue out front. Just make sure it's behind Pat's looking at him. Just don't tell me that bringing in his nemesis. Here's the thing. I know it's a long-form rant, but here's the thing. Here's what's in the back of my mind, and here's what I'm terrified of. Do not tell me you're going to bring this nemesis in because you've already decided you're getting rid of Russ. Hilarious as it is to choose Pat Bev over Russ, that would suck. Do that, and you lose me forever. It would be hilarious for about five minutes, and then it would suck. If you want to pick THT over Kyle Lowry... And Alex Caruso, fine. That's on you. That's your business. But when you get us this close to Pat Bev and Russ on the same team, then it's my business. Then it's the content business. Then you're taking food off my plate. Then you're jacking with me. Don't do it. Don't do it. You do not lead us to believe that this is how this is. And then a few days later, rip the bleeping rug by moving Russ. No way, no chance. You do that, and I will lead the charge myself. I will be the guy organizing the next protest of losers outside the crypt. Because believe this, none of us are here for Laker basketball. That brand is garbage. Garbage! But we are all here for beef. And if you want any of us to care about your franchise, you will not jack this up like you have jacked up pretty much everything since you won that bubble ring. I do love L.A. And one more thing. If Westbrook is the real magician, and what a great tweet that was from Pat, if the brick is the real magician, then Low Palenka is freaking Doctor Strange. Rob is a middle-aged, Rob Lowe-looking Harry Potter who just keeps pulling colored handkerchiefs from his sleeves until they're all over the basketball court, all 94. Rob is that weird freak who locks himself in a glass box for like a year, suspended over a river in England, all chained up, no food, no oxygen, no water. By getting Pat Bev, Rob just David Blaine'd the entire association. And you thought Brooklyn was number one for content. Not anymore. Poof! Right before your eyes. And you're all wondering, how the bleep did that guy do that? How the bleep did that guy do that? Don't you dare move, Russ. Don't you dare move, Russ. I love it. Westbrick. Pat Bev. Westbrick. Take they ass home. Take they ass home. Oh, bam. I love that sound so much. It actually makes me smile. You know why? Because that is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Let me talk to you again about Shopify and why I like it so much. It gives entrepreneurs the resources that were once reserved for big business. That way, upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere. They can synchronize online and in-person sales and effortlessly stay informed. It can do all that for you. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. I know this. I know where we started with this podcast, and I know where it is right now, and I know how much bigger it's going to get. Shopify is helping me with all of that. 
And I love how they have the tools and resources that make it easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the globe. Shopify powers over millions of businesses, businesses like mine and just like yours, from first sale to full scale. You can reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more, which of course is exactly where you want to be. More than a store. Shopify grows with you. This is possibility powered by Shopify. Here's what you need to do. Go to shopify.com slash Rome, all lowercase, and get a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Once again, go to shopify.com slash R-O-M-E right now, shopify.com slash Rome. Alan Shipnook is my guest. Alan, good to have you back. How are you? Happy to be here, Romy. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you, dude. So you've got a great piece up right now on the Fire Pit Collective about everything that has transpired with Tiger and Rory and the PGA Tour over the past week or so. How would you describe, Alan, the state of the PGA Tour and the mood among the players last week before the now-famous meeting in Delaware? Yeah, this is the most interesting and chaotic moment in professional golf history, really. And I would say things have shifted a little bit. The tour has finally punched back. You know, they've been on the defensive this entire season ever since live golf launched and they've just been hemorrhaging players and, um, and their futures looked a little bleak at times, but uh, you know, Tiger flew into Delaware last week, convened this closed door meeting players only, which is really unparalleled in golf history. You got to go back to 1968. The last time something like that happened, that was, that's what, the modern PGA tour was born of rebellion. And so um, credit to Jay Monahan, the commissioner, he realized that probably his job and the future of the tour was on the line. And over the last week, a lot has changed and been reshaped. And all that, those announcements came yesterday in, in sort of this reorganization of the tour an influx of money to the top players. And, you know, this is, this is the first time I think there's been some optimism around the PGA tour. Like, okay, you know, we have a plan, we have we have we have a strategy to keep the best guys ha- not only happy but on our tour and competing against each other more often, making for a better product. So, you know, I was in the room yesterday when all this stuff went down, and um, you know, the tour is feeling good about itself right now. However, it's short-lived because I have it on great authority that on Monday seven tour members are going to jump to live golf, and so the tour has won the news cycle right now. But it, it's going to flip very quickly next week when more players um, go over to, to live golf. So this story, just there's just so many twists and turns. Alan Shipnook is joining us. He's a partner at the Fire Pit Collective. Alan, to that point, the seven, you have it on good authority that seven more will bounce. Can you give us any sense on who the seven are? Are we talking about seven top players? What, what seven, or generally speaking, what can you say about the seven? Yeah, I mean, well, they were, they were all at the first – uh, FedEx Cup event. So you know these are these are not old timers playing out the string who've been marginalized like some of the the live defectors. They're not they're not uh, randoms from these second tier international tours. I mean these these are all accomplished, established tour players. I mean the, the big domino is going to be Cameron Smith. You know he's the British Open champion. Uh, he's the best golfer in the world. He's universally beloved. Uh, he's young. He has an incredible future in front of him. You know, that reshapes the conversation because uh, it's been easy to, to cast aside some of the, the guys who've gone to live either past their prime or uh, injured. You know, like Bryson and, and Brooks Kepka are two huge names and two mega talents, but both have, have had a series of injuries and their future's uncertain. So you could even dismiss those guys even though they were younger. But you know, Cameron Smith changes the conversation. I mean, he's the most exciting golfer there is. And <clears throat> so that's going to be a, a seismic shift. Now, what's interesting is, you know, these guys, as soon as you hit one shot at a live tournament, you're banned by the tour. But up until that time, there's wiggle room. So now that the PGA Tour has, has announced all of this influx of money and, and all these changes, there may be some buyer's remorse among these seven guys. And, I'm sure there's some furious behind-the-scenes phone calls and possibly some 
revised offers. So now it puts pressure on Liv because I broke that seven guys were going. If only three jump next week, then it looks like they, there's been some attrition. And so there may be some extra zeros being attached to these, these offers right now. But uh, we'll see what happens next week. But before, as of two days ago, before the tour made these announcements, these guys were gone. So, uh, again, it's just such an interesting moment in, in golf where there's never really been free agents no one was vying for your services and suddenly um now uh, it's like you know you have the clippers and the lakers both both want to sign you and the number keeps going up so the golfers are in that position for the first time alan shipnook is joining us alan in terms of tiger's involvement you made the point that the entire battle has stirred something deep in tiger woods what do you think that is and what do you think or why do you think it has stirred him up the way it has well, you know, Tiger's been a golf historian ever since he was a boy, and he tacked up above his bed, you know, Jack Nicklaus's career records, and that was his goal. And he's, he has a deep veneration. I mean, he'll drop in conversation or in press conferences these nuggets from the, the careers of Ben Hogan and Byron Nelson and Arnold Palmer. Like, he really is a student of the game. So part of this is he, he cares about what, what these guys built, and the tour was an incredible platform for him. And it's also it's his legacy. You know, if if the tour goes belly up or if it just becomes badly devalued because all the players leave, then Tiger's records lose some of their meaning. You know, he's, he has 82 victories on the PGA Tour. That's an unbelievable number. Uh, if the tour loses all its best players and, and, and some other guy comes up and starts winning seven or eight times a year on the PGA Tour, what does that mean if the best players aren't there? You know, I think Tiger's to some degree trying to preserve what he's, what he's accomplished. But it's also, you know, this, this golf season made – made it painfully obvious that his, his playing days are dwindling, if not over. And he's looking for a new role in the game. You know, he wants to be relevant. He wants to be this beloved elder statesman. And saving the PGA Tour is a hell of a good way to do it. And, you know, he's gone all in with the tour. You know, he's, not only is he, you know, he's hosts the LA Open, which is going to be elevated into one of the premier events in golf. That's a big deal. Uh, there's no doubt Tiger can be the President's Cup captain and the Ryder Cup captain as long as he wants. So he's he's trying to carve out a new identity for himself and, and, and give him something to do because he's going to be retired at age 46 as a competitor. And so I think he sees he needs the PGA Tour as much as the PGA Tour needs him right now. So it's a, it's a very interesting uh, you know shotgun marriage. So, Alan, what do you think? For instance, are Rory and Tiger effectively – co-commissioners of the PGA Tour right now. And then secondarily, to the point you just made, might we go out 10 or 15 years and then look back as a time that those two guys, and especially Tiger, actually saved the PGA Tour? Yeah, Rory and Tiger are running everything right now. I mean, Jay Monahan still has the the title, but he's taking all his cues from Rory and Tiger, and they're setting the agenda, if not the actual policy, um, they've been doing a lot of behind the scenes deal making and, you know, Monaghan to his credit is listening. I mean, he, it's his, he knows he has to, he, uh, he's, it's always been said that the commissioner works for the players. There's been some doubt about that, but it's certainly been, it's been an edifying stretch here where, um, Tiger and Rory have taken control of the entire sport. And, uh, it, it's a really interesting arrangement. I mean, it harkens back to Nicholas and Palmer when in 1968, they founded the modern PGA tour and, there's a lot of parallels between Jack and Arnie and, and Tiger and Rory, and it's been interesting to see it come to life. And, um, you know, they're, they're really a great combination. I mean, Tiger has the presence, but he's kind of an introvert, whereas Rory's so affable and, and everybody likes him and, um, and he's more approachable. And, you know, more to the point, he's out on tour every week, whereas Tiger's not playing anymore. So Tiger needs Rory as much as the other way around right now. And, they both have, have this sense of, of justice. You know, they're, uh, they feel like they're fighting the good fight and that they're doing this for, for their colleagues as well as themselves. And so to see them rally around the tour and each other and their fellow players, it's been, it's been really interesting to watch. So quickly, Alan, I've got about a minute. I want to ask you about a book you have coming out. It's available for pre-order. It's called Like a River to the Sea, Heartbreak and Hope in the Wake of United 93. How did that project come to be and what did you learn while working on it? Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, this has been a passion project six years in the making, and it was just just a friend I made through golf. We just we got to know each other, and his name's Jack Grancolas, and uh, he lost his his pregnant college sweetheart on United '93. And the more we talked, I said, Jack, this would make an amazing book if you ever wanted to tell your story. And he said, Well, my PTSD therapist has always encouraged me to to write it all down. So 
we sort of embarked on this journey and it's really a beautiful uh, book about about his life and, and how he's overcome this loss and you get to see this big huge historical event through the eyes of one person who was directly affected and um, it's wild that the the convergence now of geopolitics and the Saudi involvement in golf and all that has made this so relevant in my life as a, as a sports writer because I'm writing about Saudi Arabia and I'm and of course we, we all know that 15 of the 19 9 11 hijackers were from were Saudi Arabia so the, t- the timing is is ironic but this is, you know, this is our first interview was in March of 2016. I mean, we've been nurturing this for a long time, and I'm really proud of this book. I just think it's it's really touching and it's really beautiful, and um, you know, it's a tribute to to Lauren Grant Colas. She was one. If you remember, United '93, that was the uprising. You know, they, they tried to take the plane back, and um, and it crashed in that field in, in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. But those were really the first heroes in the war on terror, and you know, they probably saved the Capitol building or maybe the White House, and so. Um, you know, that was one of Jack's, he wanted people to remember because there's now generations who don't even really know what 9-11 was and some people have chosen to forget. So he wanted to keep the memory of these people alive and he wanted wanted folks to know a little bit more about, about his wife, who's a really incredible woman. So it, it's, a, it's a project I'm really proud of and I appreciate you mentioning that. Extremely well said by you. It's called Like a River to the Sea, Heartbreak and Hope in the Wake of United 93. The book is available for pre-order. It's coming out in a few weeks. Alan Chipnook, longtime golf writer, good friend of the program, partner at the Fire Pit Collective. Alan, appreciate you and as always, great job. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jim. Bye-bye. So you're hanging out with some friends. You're putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you got this. You live nearby. You can make it home just fine. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, what are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license, you lose your job, you total your car, you kill somebody. Everybody knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still does not stop everybody from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe. Plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or somebody else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Paid for by NHTSA. What the hell did Patrick Mahomes do to anybody? I mean, seriously, the hell did this guy do? When did this offseason turn into open season on Patrick Mahomes? Mahomes? Because it sure seems like some former KC wideouts have got some beef with Mahomes. Remember, it started with Tyreek Hill going on his own podcast to say that Tua is a more accurate passer than Mahomes. Obviously, like I'm, I'm going to go with 1-5 as the, the strongest arm. But as far as accuracy-wise, I'm going with Tua all day. Not mincing words at all, right? As far as accuracy, I'm going with Tua all day. Tua all day. All right, so at that time, I thought that was weird. Obviously, controversial. I mean, what a weird take, right? But, but, you could chalk it up to Hill being happy to be on a new team and wanting to make sure that everybody knew how happy he was to be on that new team. And probably a chunk of that was Hill wanting to make sure that everybody knew that he'd won the breakup. You know, maybe that was more about Hill than that was about Mahomes, maybe, but still weird and still controversial. You know, like, not only did he get a new contract with a new team, but he made it sound like he got a better quarterback, too. Really weird. Except it's not a one-off. He's not the only guy taking a run at Mahomes. Now you have Sammy Watkins. And Watkins, who's now with the Packers, compared Mahomes with Aaron Rodgers. I've been with both of them, and I'm going to be honest. Um, I think Pat is unbelievably good, but A-Rod is, is on a whole different level. All right, so here we go again. Quote, I've been with both of them, and I'm going to be honest. I think Pat is unbelievably good, but A-Rod is on a whole different level. A whole different level. I mean, damn, Sammy. That's not saying they're both good. 
but I like where I'm at right now. That's not just saying, man, I have been awfully lucky to play with the elite quarterbacks and both these dudes are special. That's saying A-Rod is on a whole different level. Whole different level. I mean, since when did it become so fashionable to blast Patrick Mahomes in the package? And then Sammy had more on Aaron Rodgers. Quote, it makes me calm just to be in the huddle with him, just the way he carries himself. End of quote. And again, damn, Sammy. All Mahomes did for you was get you a Super Bowl ring. Yet he's talking about Mahomes like he owes him money. Not only that, but Watkins has played with Rodgers for a few weeks. In fact, Aaron's not playing a hell of a lot right now, right? I mean, how much time have they really spent together? He's been with Rodgers a few weeks, yet he's already saying that Aaron is, quote, on a whole different level, end of quote, from the guy who, again, led him to a Super Bowl win. And he's talking about how calm Rodgers is in the huddle. Listen, you know how I feel about Aaron Rodgers. I'm not saying that Aaron is not amazing. He is. I'm not saying that Aaron isn't one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. He is. I'm not even saying that Aaron isn't one of the greatest football players ever. He is. But stop coming at Mahomes like he's some sort of bum. This is Patrick Mahomes we're talking about here, right? Not, I don't know, Chad Henney? Because the way they make it talk or sound, it sounds like they're talking about Chad Henney. And for the life of me, I can't figure that out. Like, I know receivers are going to new teams, and they're always going to want to hype their new quarterback. I get that. Nobody did that harder than Devontae Adams than when he got to the Raiders. But remember how much crap Adams took for that. Remember how hard he had to work to walk that back. Meanwhile, we've got guys who are running around dumping on Mahomes left and right with impunity. It seems like everybody who's ever played with Mahomes at some point is going to look to get a shot in on this guy. Like, I can't wait for Kelvin Benjamin to talk about why Mahomes is not elite. Where's Garrick Dieter on this one? Before long, there are going to be guys who never even played with Mahomes who want to take a run at him. You know Dwayne Bowe is looking to get in. I guarantee Andre Risen is planning on banning Mahomes from the Andre Risen Hall of Fame. Look, I'm not saying that you have to say that Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback of all time. I'm not even saying you have to say that Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback today. (laughs) What I'm saying is the Patrick Mahomes slander has got to stop. You want to be an Aaron Rodgers guy? I get that. I'm not going to argue with that. You want to say Tua is special? Yeah, it's it's kind of a stretch for me. But if you want to say that, I'm going to let that slide. I think that calling that guy a bum ass and a bust is way too soon. So if you want to say that's that's the next big thing, all right, I guess, kind of, maybe. But guys can't be out here talking about Patrick Mahomes like he's Trevor Simeon. It's Patrick Mahomes we're talking about, not Nick Mullins, not Cooper Rush, not Brock Osweiler. Super Bowl champ, Super Bowl MVP, league MVP, four-time Pro Bowler, and a guy who's done some of the freakiest things that a quarterback's ever done. All right, so you don't have to call this guy the GOAT. But you also don't have to treat him like he's crap. I mean, give this guy some bleeping credit. For real. I feel like one guy did it. And now a second guy has done it, so that means it's open season and guys will get in line to kick this guy in the junk. Hey, and Sammy, by the way, Sammy has been on a handful of teams. I'm surprised he didn't break out a resume and rank all of his past QBs ahead of Mahomes. Not only that, but just drop Mahomes into dead last. DFL. He's running DFL. Dead freaking last. You know, like Sammy's all up here saying, oh, you want me to rank my quarterbacks? No problem. Jared Goff, no-brainer, number two. Because Aaron's number one, of course. 
Aaron's number one. Jared Goff, number two. Number three. Hmm. Hmm. Rodgers, Goff. Oh, I know. Kyle Orton. The damn moxie on that dude. Man, talk about a guy and get it in a tight window. Kyle Orton, number three. Number four, number four. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, I know. E.J. Manuel. Man, he never got a chance to blossom. Man, the upside on that cat. Everybody loved him. E.J. E.J. is number four. Oh, Patrick. Yeah, just after E.J. Just after E.J. I mean, is somebody going to drop a mic in front of Byron Pringle, another former KC receiver who's down with the Bears? Is this guy going to show up and say, Mahomes is great? I'm not saying he's not, but, I mean, damn, Justin Fields. He is infinity times better as a leader and a thrower of the football. A-Rod is, is on a whole different level. The hell is going on? Why is everybody swerving way out of their lane to punch this guy in the package? That's two. Who's next? Somebody else is coming. Yeah, I've got a quick question for you. Do you feel like your antiperspirant keeps you dry all day long? Dove Men Plus Care Dry Spray has an instantly drying antiperspirant formula that can help give you a cleaner feel and offers 48-hour sweat and odor protection. 48 hours. Like, I don't even know that was possible. 48 hours. Dove Men Dry Spray feels light and clean on your skin, and it's quick and easy to use. I mean, the product is pretty amazing. All of that, and especially, especially good when you're on the go. And Dove Men Dry Spray continues. And Dove Men Dry Spray contains Dove's unique one-quarter moisturizing cream that helps to protect your skin. And it goes without saying, you better be moisturizing. It leaves your skin feeling comfortable, and it helps to protect your skin. And did I say, you had best be moisturizing? I do. You should. Try Dove Men Dry Spray. Goes on dry. Clean feel all day. Dave Clausen is my guest. Dave, it's great to have you on. How are you? I'm doing great, and thanks so much for having me on again, Jim. I always enjoy these uh, interviews and conversations with you. appreciate you saying that, Dave. I would say the exact same thing about you. I appreciate you doing it. In fact, before we talk football in the upcoming season, I do have to ask you about music. Normally, I would not start there, but I know you've hit some shows since the last time we spoke. Who have you seen of late, and what were the shows like? Uh, I had a really good year of music, I think, with – COVID still being there, but uh, concerts now going on. I had a chance to see Genesis in their last tour up in New York City. And my favorite band is Talking Heads. And I wanted to get up to New York and see the David Byrne American Utopia before it went off Broadway. And that was another amazing show. So uh, I was, uh, you know, a child of the 80s, and, and that's my musical taste. And to be able to see Genesis, uh, hopefully not for the last time, but in case it is, and to see David Byrne live, that was uh, those were two great shows. Absolutely love that the Talking Heads, your favorite band. I mean, as somebody, I mean, I'm of that age, so I know exactly what you're talking about. I can remember when the Talking Heads were literally the biggest band in the world and there was nobody like David Byrne, so I love hearing that. In terms of football, Dave, when we talk about last season, when you take the big step that you took in winning 11 games, you win the division, you go to the AFC, or I should say ACC championship game, it seems like, to me at least, there's a couple of approaches you can take. One is this notion of unfinished business, and the other is it all zeroes out and you reset to zero. How have you gone approaching it in terms of preparing for this season coming off last year? I think you nailed it, and we're taking the second approach. Uh, it's hard to get to the ACC championship game. We're in a division with Clemson and Florida State and NC State and Louisville and BC and Syracuse, and those are all good programs. So to think that you're just going to show up and get back to Charlotte and the chance to win it, there's a lot of work to do between now and then to even have that opportunity. So uh, every year begins anew. It's a new football team. It's new chemistry. There's new challenges. Uh, and obviously we'd love to get back there, but we have to play, uh, you know, really good football. And, and you look to last year, you know, we won a game in overtime. We won a game on a last second field goal. We won a game because an onside kick didn't go six inches further. Um, so we've got to win close games and do all those little things right and hopefully give ourselves an opportunity to get back there and, 
and try to win it this year. Wake Forest head coach Dave Clawson, my guest. Dave, earlier this month, quarterback Sam Hartman was ruled out indefinitely following a non-football-related medical procedure. I know that you're going to protect his privacy with this matter, so I would ask you this. What is it like for you as a head coach to work with him and support him as he goes through this? Supporting him is very easy. Sam has been just a, a model of consistency in our program, such a hard worker. You know, we always talk about players in our program, that some guys like it, some guys love it, and other guys live it. And Sam has been a guy that's just compelled, uh, loves his teammates, has become a great leader. And when someone goes down, I, I hate the adage of next man up, because I think when you're talking about you know human beings and people that have sacrificed so much, you know people aren't replaceable. Uh, so Sam, uh, we, we're hoping we're going to get him back, but that's part of coaching. You know, you go into every year with the what ifs. What if this guy would get hurt? What if you have an injury here? What if they're out for two weeks, three weeks? And part of our job as coaches is to prepare for these scenarios. So I feel we're prepared. Uh, we believe in the quarterbacks we have, uh, and we're still a good football team. Uh, of our 85 scholarship players, 39 of them are in their fifth, sixth, or seventh year. And this is not an excuse for us to not be successful. We expect to be good regardless of when we get Sam back. And obviously, if we get him back, that's a, a huge bonus. You know, we could talk about how complicated other banks make it to redeem credit card rewards, like how they require minimums and worse yet, how their rewards flat out expire. Or we could talk about how with Discover, you can redeem your rewards for cash in any amount at any time. I mean, you want to talk about amazing and now that we've talked about that, let's get back to the daily jungle. You know, the stuff that we talk about here daily. Learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards. Terms apply. We're talking to Dave Clawson. You know, Dave, in, in terms of that, he has been around the team. He's still showing up at practice. He's still letting the guys know that he's okay. At the same time, he did throw for nearly 10,000 yards in his career. He ran the offense last season at such a high level. You mentioned that we have other good quarterbacks. What do you make of the job, for instance, that Mitch Griffiths has done in filling, for, filling in for him so far? I think the first day Mitch was running with the ones, he was a little shaky, which you would kind of expect. But now that he's accumulated those reps, he's looked better and better every day. He had a great practice today. Uh, his second scrimmage, he looked really good. And you just can't replace the rep. Sam's thrown 1,500, 2,000 balls to a Torian Perry and Donovan Green and Taylor Marin and Keyshawn Williams. And Mitch has thrown maybe 100 balls because he runs with the twos. So the challenge now isn't does he understand the offense or can he execute things. It's just getting the timing down with players he hasn't thrown as many balls to. And so we're just trying to catch up on reps and get those guys on the same page as much as we can. Um, and, you know, everybody runs their comeback a little different, their curl a little different, and Mitch is getting more and more comfortable with our starting receivers. Dave Clawson joining us once again. You know, because of the offense that we're talking about, Dave, it's easy to get caught up in that because of all the numbers and then lose track of the defense, and the defense may not get that attention, but you brought in Brad Lambert to be your D coordinator in January. What do you like about his scheme, and then how pleased have you been with the way your guys have bought in? Uh, Brad's an experienced coordinator. He was a head. He was a coordinator at Wake Forest for Jim Grobe in the, you know, in the 2000s. Um, you know, when Jim had his uh, great 13 years here, and he was an extremely successful coordinator at Purdue last year. So I think it's a really good sign for Wake Forest that we're able to hire a successful Big Ten coordinator to come here. And he just he has a lot of experience. Uh, he's extremely confident. He's very aggressive. He knows his system. Uh, he knows the answers within his system, and he's just done a great job relating to our players and getting them to buy in and, and playing with an edge and an aggressiveness uh, that you have to if you're going to play good defense. So he's been a, a great fit, um, and I'm very confident he'll make our defense better. Now, uh, there's a lot of improvement, and there's times last year we played good defense. We were just so inconsistent, and I just hope we can get a little – consistency and I believe that's going to happen based on what I've seen. We're talking football with Wake Forest head coach Dave Clawson. Now, Dave you've been pretty outspoken about the fact that you don't necessarily love the direction that college football is going in in some regards especially when sport loses rivalries like Oklahoma Oklahoma State. Every athletic department and conference as we know is going to do what's best for itself 
But in your opinion, does the sport need somebody who's keeping an eye on the sport overall? I do. I, I think if you look at all the moves that are happening, uh, everybody's doing their job. A commissioner's job is to do what's best for their conference. An athletic director and the president's job is to do what's best for their institution. And when you look at all the decisions that have been made and the things that have happened, it's hard to say that you know, everybody's doing their job and what they're paid to do. The problem is we don't have somebody with oversight for what's good for the entire sport. You know, I don't know any business that expands by condensing. And we're not creating new value. We're just, you know, we're transferring new, the value into de- limited silos. So, um, you know, I, I really, I hope at some point we can have a commissioner or a board of directors that oversees college football as a whole and can act in what's best for the sport and not just individual conferences or individual institutions. Um, it's hard to say all these moves are good for college football as a whole. And I think when you lose games like Pitt Penn State or you know Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, it's hard to say that that's really good for the game. Those are great games and those are the games that make people fall in love with college football. I fell in love with college football because I lived in Pennsylvania and the Pitt-Penn State game was the biggest game of the year. And you couldn't wait to see it. And the fact that so many of those games don't exist anymore, I don't see how that could possibly be good for college football. Rivalries make your sport. Rivalries make every sport. So one quick follow before I let you go. How much of a role do coaches actually have in these types of decisions? And for the most part, do they even want you involved in these decisions? I think they include us in the discussions so they can say they can, they've included us in the discussions. But we really have no say. Um, this is being controlled by, I think, uh, you know, you know, TV uh, networks and commissioners and and things like that in terms of uh, you know the, the value and, and the TV contracts. It's really uh, we we get together as ACC coaches and we have meetings like every other Power Five conference in every conference in the country. And uh, I think a lot of us, when we got into this, you know, there was a, a little bit more of a purity to it and less business oriented than it is now. Uh, but when it's all said and done, I think the coach's influence on this thing is, is minimal at best. Wake Forest, number 19 in the preseason coaches poll. They open up their year against VMI on September 1st. He is the ACC Coach of the Year, Dave Clausen, my guest, as you said, at the very top, Dave. And I want to echo it right now. I always enjoy that conversation very much. It's great to have you back. Thank you so much, and that was great as always. Okay, thank you, Jim. I really appreciate it. Shaquem Griffin joins me. Shaquem, it's good to have you back. How are you? Man, I'm doing good, man. Good to talk to you again. Thanks for having me, man. It is so great to have you back. So listen, you and I, as I mentioned, go way, way back. We've been talking for years. So I had to get you on today about your announcement yesterday that you're retiring from football. How does it feel now to have made the announcement and to move on to the next phase of your life? I mean, honestly, uh, I've been telling everybody, it's it's like more of a relief. You know, uh, I feel like a a weight has been lifted off me because, I'm able to embark on a journey that I've been wanting to do for a long time. And, you know, when it comes to retirement, it's it's different shapes and forms of retirement in different ways and different people. So when your time comes about and it start happening and you start receiving your flowers, you start receiving the love from your community, your team, and those around you who've been, who've been supporting you for all these years, and, you know, it, it's still kind of surreal, but it, it feels amazing, honestly. Like, you know, you think about how retirement would look, but, when you see the fun and everything that goes with it, it's just like it's been an amazing experience. It's Shaquem Griffin joining us. I love that. I love the way you made the announcement as well. You made the announcement in the Players' Tribune, and the announcement was that you're shifting to Plan A. It's such a great line, but this was always the plan. For those who did not know, what did your father tell you and your brother that Plan A needed to be? Uh, plan A was just always just trying to help people. I mean, I feel like that was something that – that was the pinnacle in our life with comes to me and my brother and our uh, family members. My mom was in the medical field. My dad used to help people. So, you know, it was always a way to how can we help some help better somebody else that's, that's in need. And it wasn't no matter if it was motivational speaking, if it was us becoming doctors, if it was us becoming physicians, no matter what, we always had plans of helping people. But now you're trying to put it into motion and seeing ways that you can motivate, inspire, and help. 
and now it's just executing it. You know, you write about the fact that back in 2020, you and your brother Shaquille were in Seattle, and then you saw the news that you had been cut by the Seahawks. I'm curious, given how close the two of you are, what kind of emotions did you have in that moment when you saw that? I mean, um, during the cut, because uh, I've been there, I've been there, done it before, I've been cut before, and sharing that experience with my brother, I feel like it makes it easier because it kind of um, not only enlightens me, but it kind of reminds me of, you know, what I'm doing it for and why I started. Like, I, I started playing football because I enjoy I enjoy playing football with my brother, and it's not about what's happening as far as being cut because at the end of the day, work don't have to do it, no matter who does it. And that was the mindset, and that's what my brother was telling me was like, no matter what happened, we still got to put in the work. And he said, if you want your spot, go get it. And that's really what the words was. So, you know, doing that past tripping when I was writing that, it was more of like I seen the impact that me and my brother and vice versa, what we had on each other when it comes to this football game, playing from Little League, playing from high school to college to, to NFL, it's like it was the pinnacle of our success. It was the pinnacle of us getting there because – we forced sacrifices for each other for us to, to, to be together and stay together. So when that time came when, you know, moving to different teams and being in different cities and being separated, you start to, to see, to feel that, you know, that's not the same. You know, that that love and that passion that you had as far as why you were doing it and who you were doing it with. And now it's like going from different teams and trying out and flying to different places. It, it wasn't the same feeling that I used to have. And, you know, being able to talk to my brother, being able to talk to guys like K.J. Wright and Bobby Wagner and having, you know, a lot of mentors and stuff, being able to kind of shape, you know, things that you want to do. And I feel like being in Seattle helped a lot because seeing what the guys do to help people and serve and be an active service for people, and you, you see how they share a piece of themselves when they want to help. And it was like, how do I shake that for myself? And, you know, as I got older, I was starting to figure that out more. And now it got me to the point where I've been inspiring people for so long and haven't been to the time to, to sit back and notice the change and the things that I really have done. Shaquem Griffin joining us. You know, I listen to that response, and the whole thing just strikes me as so uncommon. I mean, the bond between you and your brother, the love between you and your brother is so uncommon. Your mindset's always been so uncommon. You as a person, so uncommon. As a player, so uncommon. Like, for instance, the natural thing in that moment to me would be to be upset that you were cut or maybe to be upset with the way you found out. You said, quote, I was more worried about how other people would perceive me. I didn't want people think, thinking, ah, the one-handed player got cut, end of quote. You know, because you and I go back, and I know the way you think to a certain extent. You don't do sympathy. So what no. do you remember about thinking about that? And lay that out, why you don't do sympathy. Uh, because I feel like the things that I've done, something that I've been fighting for my whole life, like I don't I don't sympathize myself when it comes to me even have to work hard or outwork somebody. So I never wanted to be, you know, I guess viewed in that way of, you know, I like I know a lot of people say it's a feel good story, but this is my story, and, you know, I don't I don't think that is a you know, a softness to it. It's a grit, it's a grind, it's a I want this so bad nobody can take it from me type of feel and you know, that's how I that's how I live it. You know, people say, Oh yeah, he went to the combine and he did his thing, we were so surprised. I wasn't surprised. Because I was, I was set out to do what I always going to do. If they said run fast, I was going to run fast. I, I've been bench pressing since I was a little kid. So, you know, I was prepared for that moment. It just was the world prepared to see me. And that's really, that's, that's really the, the moral of the story is, like, I'm showing this. I'm showing the real me. I'm doing what I've always been doing, but now the world is starting to see it. Now, how do you view me? You know, you mentioned some of the mentors you've had. When you talk about guys like Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright, we can talk about football. We can talk about scheme. We can talk about grit. We can talk about grind. However, a lot of what you learn from those guys is about connecting with people and then moving them and impacting them. Break that down for me. Like, in terms of those intangible things and connecting with people, what did you learn from those two? Oh, man, I, I feel like to the, the put in the best words possible is just showing love. I mean, showing love for the people and wanting to put a world in a better place. No matter how big or small your part is, it's always a, a it's always a big part for somebody else who's watching. And you know, watching KJ on you know how he build wells and bring water to people, and how you know Bobby Gardner you know teaches financial literacy, and you know a lot of these things is um, they taking a piece of themselves and sharing it with people and showing how they can help. And that's something that it was uh, insight for me because like how can I share a piece of myself and be able to help? 
And it's me literally living my truth. It's me wanting to accomplish things that I'm set out to do. It's me wanting to stay motivated no matter what people think of me. As long as I believe in myself, I can do that. How can I share this with people to, to, to have that mindset? As long as you believe in yourself, everything else is, 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 is up for you. You know, your family believes in you. You got coaches that believe in you. You have loved ones that loves and believes in you. Now, only thing we're missing is you believing in yourself to go accomplish what you set out to do. And right. when you got guys around you who can re remind you and show this over and over and display it, it's like, now how can I apply this to my life? See, Shaq, the, th the thing seems to me is you've always been like this. Going back to the first time you and I spoke when you were at UCF, I've heard from so many people how you've inspired them. And now you have this message that you can share with schools and colleges. You even present to companies. It just seems like you've always had that deep, deep-rooted belief in yourself. What if somebody listening right now doesn't have that belief? What if they don't have that confidence? What if they've never had that confidence? What is your message to those folks? And then how do they get that confidence? I mean, the best way to get that confidence is sometimes you really just got to sit back and think. Um, sit and think. Think about those who care about you, either if it's your mom, it's your dad, it's your your siblings, it's if it's a friend or a mentor of yours. Think about those who believe in you and why they think and why you think they believe in you, and then start to apply that to yourself. You know, it's an everyday practice. You're not going to just get it in one hour. You know, it's every day you have to wake up and believe that I can do this. You got to wake up and believe I can do this. You're going to get them days where it's really hard. And even then, and that's when you got to emphasize it on the more. I can believe, I believe I can do this. And then it's taking the steps to do so. I feel like it's a it's a mindset that's easy can be said, but it's harder to do. And like I said, every day it, it, it takes practice to believe in oneself. You know, if you set out to do something, don't give up because somebody else said that you couldn't do it. That should make you more hungry to go accomplish it more. And you'll figure it out. And the thing is, you got to be able to take that leap of faith. And I know people hear it all the time. Like I said, it's easier to say stuff than actually apply it to your life. Once you hear it more than enough, you're starting to apply bits and pieces to it, you know, such as myself. And you got to be able to take that that, that that leap of faith. Because sometimes, um, I'm pretty sure a lot, of, a lot of people heard it before, you know, saying you, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So if you're not going to go out for it, then what's the point of it all? You know, just go for it. You may fail, but there's nothing wrong with failing because with each fail comes closeness to uh, success. So you got to keep going after it. You ain't going to win it all, but soon you keep going and keep going. Around the corner, it's, it's, it's a peace of mind and a goal that you've been fighting for your whole life for. So why not? So why stop? Yeah, why be afraid to fail? The biggest failure is not even trying. I still love this notion that football was plan B and that what you're on to right now is plan A. There have been so many amazing things that have happened to you. You were even named Godfather of Margaritaville <laughs> at Sea Paradise. My man, exactly what is that? Lay that out for me. What is that about? Um, the Godfather of the uh, Margaritaville cruise ship was, uh, <laughs> was a major blessing. I was able to cut the, uh, the red ribbon to open up a new cruise line. And being the godfather, it was that's my first time. So it was it it, it was a, a very blessing and a cool experience because you know you walk around a, a cruise ship and you getting called godfather by everyone. You know it it, it starts to stick to you a little bit. <laughs> so I mean being able to you know be a part of that and I remember just come from UCF. A lot of UCF investors, a lot of UCF guys was you know bringing my name up like who's the guy in Florida that can represent this ship the right way, the positivity, you know, being motivated. Like a lot of a lot of people was down that the cruise ship could come. Like, you know, Margaritaville is known for food and drinks and resorts. Like, how can we bring this ship? And people are like, well, you can't do a ship and then bring it to life and make it happen. Like, who can represent us? And being that guy that they called, trust me, I was surprised when they did it. But once I once I seen what they was doing, once I seen the ship and where they came from and how they was building it and how they set their team up, it's like I'm pretty sure they had a lot of people who was doubting them from finishing it, but they got it done and it was a blessing to see and uh, extreme blessings to have me a part of it, being the godfather for the ship to release it to the uh, waters. I was going to say, dude, you are the godfather. You earned that for sure. And finally, you were asked by Roger Goodell to join the NFL Legends community. What was that moment like for you, and how does it feel to be included in that group, and what will you do for them? I mean, it's, with Roger Goodell and, and being a part of the Legends group, man, I, it, it was an extreme blessing because, you know, being the youngest legend, I didn't know, you know, the impact I can make for them and being able to sit down with them and kind of understand what I actually can do for them and being that, that younger face that people can relate to and people can help. And I can be mentors for 
players coming in, players playing, and players leaving, and like you have that direct access to understanding. And you know you got these legends who you know who's been out of the league for twenty or twenty plus years, and you know you get these young guys that don't even know some of the legends sometimes. And I feel like the diversity that he's bringing is bringing that that younger generation to say, you know what, we all can help each other because this is a brotherhood, and only way we're gonna be able to help our brotherhood out is we protect each other. And like, how can we do that? I was like, with a lot of things that we've been taught as players that's relatable to no matter if you're a young or old player or retired player or legend, that we've been taught to be, you know, to have grit. We were taught to be machines. We were taught to be like, you got to be crazy to do this game or, you know, you got to leave everything on the outside and you got to be able to just stay tough all the time. But in reality is that's that's not realistic because all of us are human no matter if we play sports or not. And it's like how do we reshape that mindset from being where it's like old school, you know, early 1900s football to now, you know, we got to support each other. We are we are a family when it, when it comes out there. We got to protect each other mentally and physically. And I feel like the physical opponent is there with trainers, but mentally we don't have that surface where it's like it's okay not to be okay. And how can we help you to become a better you? You got to release some of that bad stuff so you can let the good stuff in for you to become a better player, a better man, a better husband, or wherever you, or wherever the case may be. It's such a great point. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be okay, especially in a culture where you're brought up, that sport where it's not okay, but it is okay not to be okay. He yeah. is a player that was now American. He played four years in the NFL. He's co-author of Inseparable, How Family and Sacrifice Forged a Path to the NFL. Longtime friend of the program, and now it's on to Plan A. Shaq, congratulations. So great to have you on the show, and let's do it again soon. It was great to get caught up. Man, thank you so much, man. Always good talking to you, man. I appreciate you so much. My God, I appreciate right, you. Next call, you know you got me. Yeah, I love that, man. Good night now!